Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, we get to sit down and talk with Dr. Teddy Wilsey about the connections between physical therapy and strength and conditioning. Uh, Teddy has an extensive background in S&C that he took with him to PT school and is now running a practice uh, here in the, in the DMV area and is doing absolutely fantastic stuff. We get into how his journey as a strength coach impacted him and is still impacting him as a PT, lessons he learned in the weight room from his mentors and how that's carried in. We get into talking about providing value to the profession, which is something he's doing fantastically with an awesome Instagram uh, lineup of content and information that he's putting out. And then, you know, we, we finish out giving, you know, his unique point of view when it comes to return to play and return to training, being able to look through both lenses as a strength coach and a PT. It's really an awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Doc, thanks for spending some time with us today, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so listen, Teddy, you got a cool story, so how about we start there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I kind of got my first taste of strength and conditioning with with Buddy Morris, and like I was just mentioning, kind of name-dropping a little bit there, Buddy and James, James Smith over at University of Pittsburgh. This was in 2009, and so I interned with them, and then I was like, man, strength and conditioning is what I want to do. But I had this PT route the whole time. And so I kind of broke off the PT thing. I ended up uh, moving back to the DC area, which is where I grew up. And so I did the private industry strength and conditioning thing for years. Then school for PT and uh, been a PT for two and a half years now. That's so that's, awesome. that's about what I was doing. Yeah. The, and with the private industry stuff, I was working with a lot of high schools, uh, worked with some MMA guys, did some different stuff. And so kind of bounced around and got a taste of a lot of different things. And it's, you know, it's just a tough field. To, to be in from a private industry standpoint, you're bouncing around a lot. I mean, it's tough and it's tough in all regards. And so that's why I decided I'm going to go back for, to learn more about rehab. Yeah. So then let's talk about that voyage because Buddy and James and Anthony are three high level, interesting people. How did that time and that education uh, impact your, your schooling when it came to the re, the rehabilitation side of things? Well, so one of the first times that I really thought, man, the strength and conditioning and rehab and it's all kind of one thing. And uh, I don't want to date Charlie Weingroff. I don't know when he came out with the T equals R and that sort of idea. But m one of my first exposures to it was with Buddy because Buddy did almost all his guys rehab. And so if a guy was eight weeks post ACL, he was with Buddy. 
if a guy was, you know, rehabbing a hamstring thing, he was with Buddy by and large. Uh, yeah, they used the athletic training staff and that sort of thing, but it was, you know, he did a lot of it. And I was just kind of fascinated by it. And I was like, man, how do you know what to do? How do you know what they're ready for? And I didn't know enough to talk about tissue tolerance and all that, but that's really what I was kind of wondering about. And it's just, uh, you know, you kind of have this instinct, you know about how the body heals, what the timetables are, and then you talk to your athletes, you judge how they're doing, and, and you go from there. But for me, that was kind of like, man, first I'm in the strength and conditioning, and then he's doing the rehab side of it too. I would love to get involved in that. And, you know, instead of just your total knee, total hip replacement from a PT standpoint, working with athletes. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, Buddy's a wizard, man. Like, Yeah, he's... He had, he's probably, I mean, I've had a lot of mentors and clinical instructors through PT school and stuff, but I would say that especially because I was young at that point, he probably had the greatest influence, single influence on the trajectory of my career and my understanding of training and the principles and the bigger picture stuff. And, you know, there's so many buddyisms out there. I mean, one of the things he always used to say is the best training program is the one you're not doing. And just kind of understanding the way that works and how the body adapts and how you need to change but not so much in terms of training stimuli. And, I mean, all that stuff plays into rehab too. And that's kind of, you know, those things are where rehab oftentimes falls short. And so you bring that that idea, the strength and conditioning mentality into it. And um, guys like Buddy who have had such a huge influence on the strength and conditioning world, uh, you know, and it, it all kind of jives. Yeah, so what stuff do you keep with you now? On the regular when you're, I mean, because there is so much similarity, but there's also so much difference. So right. what do you keep with you on the regular that you learn from your time at Pitt and your time being on your own as a coach? Yeah. Uh, to start, I would say one of the big things is just exercise selection, just basic stuff. Like you, if you look at a Buddy Morris 2009, 2010 warm up. That's basically a huge rehab, prehab section, rehab, prehab, you know, a 20-minute piece. And so whether, whether it's hurdle mobility or TKEs or different bridge and single-leg bridge variations, uh, dynamic stretching, dynamic warm-up, you know, taking, through, taking your athletes through all the different movements, uh, build-up runs, falling starts, those are all things that I use in here on a daily basis because what I'm, I'm doing rehab in a facility with three half racks, collegiate style setup and 40 yards of turf. And so I'm doing rehab in the strength and conditioning environment and using those things. So, so first you've got exercise selection. And then from there, the bigger picture thing and the thing that people oftentimes miss out on is the theory of training and the ideas behind it, you know, um, how you're going to progress over time, how important it is to load and just from a from a periodization standpoint, if if you have uh, different physical qualities that an athlete needs to possess, how do we build those different things? You know, when do we reach a point of diminishing returns with strength where we need to work on other qualities more? And I see that sometimes with my higher level ACL guys, like a, a high school point guard I'm working with right now. Guy comes in here, he's reverse lunging 135 pounds barbell, no problem, but he's not comfortable cutting yet. He came to me from another PT. I'm like, dude, your quads are huge. You don't need to be lunging that much right now. Let's get, let's build up some other qualities. And so the same idea, whether it's rehab or training, it's about trying to maximize that athlete's efficiency and that athlete's ability to produce, you know, whatever they need to do. And uh, that's, I think that's where the training and the strength and conditioning and the rehab just, I mean, completely overlaps. It's the same thing, really. 
No, 100%. And I love that because, you know, the principles and the theories are all the same principles and the theories. It's right. just a matter of are you trying to get a knee to bend again or are you trying to get somebody to, you know, be at their highest level at the, at the specific mm -hmm. time? Yeah. I mean, you've got those physical qualities. And then you talk about knee bending, even back taking it back a level. Uh, what do they need to improve and get to where they need to go? And so do they need more range of motion? Do they need more strength? Do they need more kind of stability, motor control, whatever you, whatever verbiage we want to use there. And uh, it's trying, it, instead of just kind of blindly throwing exercises at people, it's trying to figure out how can we maximize all of those different pieces, bring them together to create the most optimal uh, result. Yeah, you know, we, it's funny, you know, we, we had a saying on a team I played in way back in the day, I won't even date myself, but it was just do what the game demands. <laughs> And, uh, you know, doing what the game demands is what we are both doing. You know, whether the demand is the same or not um, is, is a long discussion, but it's determining that demand and, and doing what the game's required. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. So let's go forward here because you do some pretty cool stuff that I want to talk about. For people who aren't, people who aren't to, you know, because a lot of coaches still don't like these things and they don't look at of course. they don't look at the gram like they should <laughs> but you put some rad stuff out and i i would really like to hear where this idea came from so it's it started with the name you know my instagram handle strength coach therapy and at first it was actually hybrid pt and then i changed it like 2 days later uh but I wanted to create um, something that would, from a selfish standpoint, help the younger me. Because I was starting in probably <clears throat> my junior year of undergrad, so 2007-ish, 2006, I got really into T-Nation and that whole world. And then from there, it kind of branched out. And so I was, you know, I had, uh, I was on the Cressy and the Brett Contreras email list and I was reading all the elite FTS stuff and the, the blogs and I was like, man, uh, I want to continue to help the younger me. And how can I do that? What are what social media are people using right now? Um, and it was Instagram. And then it's Instagram allows me to do these videos. And let's face it, people don't have the same attention spans that they did 10 years ago even. And so I, I wrote some 4,000 word blogs and that sort of stuff and, you know, a couple hundred hits, maybe throw it out there on Twitter, et cetera. But the Instagram thing just overnight, it just took off. And instead of writing these long things, I was writing short little snippets, things that the, the 20 year olds will read and take to heart and hopefully some of them. And even then I get told I write too much and even on freaking Instagram, you know, it's like, and, but it was, but from there it was putting videos as well. And then trying to, like I talked about before, explain how the strength and conditioning ideas and the rehab principles can all kind of go together. And then it got into some more specific rehab stuff. Okay, so you have uh, patellar tendonitis. Here's a three-part series of how to start, how to end. And uh, you know, the focus for my stuff, that three-part series might not be appropriate for a 50-year-old jogger, but it's probably going to be appropriate for one of your basketball players. And so that's been the focus of a lot of my stuff is, is towards the athlete, towards the active individual. And um, also at the same time, trying to dispel some of the myths and some of the problems that I see in the PT and the rehab world. Uh, so 
you know, a lot of times we hear about kind of a cupcake PT environment. One of the things I ask a lot of my athletes if they come to me from another physical therapist is, were you challenged? Did you find it to be something that, like, I'll even ask them straight up, did you find it to be helpful? And sometimes they'll say no. And it's like, okay, well, then what can we do to make this helpful? And so, um, you know, there's that communication piece. And I, I try to touch on a lot of different things on my Instagram. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's about exposing people to exercises and interventions and ways to do things. Yeah. So now these are similar progressions, regressions, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. that you would use in the, in the therapy setting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And if the people listening don't follow, uh, you need to. Because strength coach therapy has got, gosh, I'm looking at it right now. And there's like the first four lines are three, six, eight, eleven videos. And someone looking excessively uncomfortable in the bottom of a squat with a safety bar on their back. Um, but it's all like stuff that like, what I love about it is you look at it and it's just like rotator cuff for different things for hip stability with mobility, like things like that. So I guess my question then to follow is I'm looking at this and it's none of it is like, oh, well that makes sense to go. Well, okay. I say that. And then it's like patella tendon and then jumpers near the two next to each other. But I look at a bunch and they're all over the place. Is this yeah. just like you wake up and you're like, you know what? I think we need to talk about this. <laughs> you know, I oftentimes people will message me and ask me to do something. And so I kind of have a running list and I'll cycle through. Uh, at the end of the day, social media is just a big cyclical thing. I could post something that I put up six months ago and uh, probably a new crop of people will see it and appreciate it. And, you know, we're not inventing anything new here. The, the wheels round, it's always going to be, uh, you know, and so there's nothing new under the sun. I'm just kind of trying to put information out there that uh, it's already, I've already put a lot of that stuff out there. You know, there's a lot of different, sometimes I'll combine exercises differently. So an impingement protocol, or and we don't really use protocols for what I do here, it's more individualized, but from an Instagram standpoint, an impingement protocol might be pretty similar to uh, ideas about how to press overhead press pain free. And so I could use similar exercises, but combine them differently as well. So there's, I'll be honest with you, there's some, you know, recycling of content and that sort of thing. And that, that helps. It's not like I'm sitting here filming in in my gym every single day. Uh, but I've had some sessions where you come late at night and, or when nobody's in the gym and film for a couple hours and try to get a lot of content together. Uh, but it's it's a lot of it's based on what people are asking me and and that sort of thing. And then oftentimes what I see as well, you know, I mean, I had a kind of a, a streak last spring where I saw a bunch of hamstring pulls and one one pretty bad kind of chronic tear. And so I was like, you know, what? I'm going to do a hamstring series. And I did a five part series on that and talked a lot about it because I kept seeing the same problems over and over again when people were coming from other rehab professionals. Um, you know, they weren't being challenged, they weren't being pushed enough, that sort of thing. And so I try to take, uh, what a coach or a PT or anybody or a a personal trainer, anybody like that can use and then put my own little twist on it of where I think people sometimes fall short and try to fill in the gaps there as well. No. And you know, I love it too, because I work with a youth team outside of here as well. And, you know, with swimmers, 
you know, shoulders and whatever, they always have some sort of issue. I think it's probably got something to do with getting up at four to jump in a box of water and stare at a black line for two hours. But, <laughs> you know, we, we, we look at these things and they always have homework. And I'm sitting here looking at this and I'm just like, this is freaking brilliant because you've got, you know, however many people coming through your door or like a strength coach can have however many, you know, depending on the school you're at, you're working with anywhere from 15 to 1500 kids. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what, man, my, my ankles have been stiff or my groins locked up or my knees have been bothering me. And like 95% of this stuff you could do at home with no help at all. Yeah. And that's I'm making rad. myself obsolete, man. <laughs> well, no, because they still got to come to the gym to get pushed and get the real work in. But right, all of right. this this stuff, like, I think that's genius. I appreciate it. Like, yeah, and I use that stuff with some of my people. I mean, I'm like, show them, you know, hey, go check this out that I posted. And one neat thing about Instagram that they made now is that you can save videos and put them into files and that sort of stuff. So. So you could save all of your hamstring posterior chain videos in one folder, one of your, all your shoulder stuff in one folder. And um, you can pull that up, just send that over the direct message to one of your athletes. They have it in their fold, in their, I mean, it's, it's really, it's, it's a tool, it's a machine, it helps to communicate with athletes, it's the language that they speak. And let's face it, these 19, 20 year olds that we work with, they think it's cool. They're like, oh man, you got this many followers? Like, you know, I mean, it's social currency for them. Mm -hmm. And for us, it's kind of more of a professional thing. My, my personal Instagram where I post pictures of, you know, me and my wife and my dogs and what we do outside and that sort of thing. I don't care about that. I, 600 followers there, you know, but it's for, for the kids. They're like, man, that's cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and cause it is cool. And I think that like for us professionally, it's super cool. And it, it's been successful with the kids is what you're saying. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of coaches like to use it just to like to display for the kids to see like, oh, well, look at Johnny did this and Sally did that. But like for actually teaching them, and this has been really successful for you. Yeah. And, you know, the athletes are not my primary target. My primary target is, is you, people that want to learn and implement this sort of thing. And um, the athletes is just like I think they follow along because they like to take little tidbits. For example, I was talking to a soccer player that I work with last summer, and she said, you know, I always – she was like, I always skip over the upper body stuff, but I like your knee and ankle stuff, you know. And so it's – that's there's still little things out there for her. And um, I think that athletes that have trained with strength coaches uh, like yourself who are educating them on, on what they're doing and why they're doing it and when they get involved in the process – they're going to like seeing some of this stuff. And sometimes our athletes are looking for things to do on their own. And maybe sometimes we don't want them to do too much on their own, but either way it's there for them. And so I think, um, it helps, it helps everybody. And I'm, I'm trying to provide value and I'm, I, you know, I think providing value within your content is how it grows. And then from there you increase the audience and you can potentially have a a greater influence on pushing things in the right direction, whether it is the strength and conditioning field and, uh, you know, the physical therapy field and, and all of these different places that sometimes need a little, need to continue to progress and go in the right place. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I do. I think that that's awesome. And I, I can't thank you enough for putting all that out because that's, it's killer. 
Of course, man. So let's talk about one thing that's really near and dear to my heart and, and, a, and a part that I think it is because it's so stumping. And it hasn't been out yet, but I just talked with Bill Hartman about it. It'll be the mm-hmm. podcast before this. Um, let's talk about return to play because you're a guy that's in both realms. And there's always that one spot that's even more tricky, and that's that return to train. Yeah. Where, as a person that is working on both sides of the aisle, do you see that we can provide a better way of moving from those initial rehabs to being more of our general physical preparation type training? So it's a good part. It's a good question. There's a lot of different parts to it. I think that one of the most important things we need to look at early on in that return to play is uh, what can we do to train around the injury? You know, we're not going to train through an injury, but if if it's an ACL, for example, we'll go back to that. Uh, we might not want to load the knee too much, but they should still be deadlifting. They should still be doing upper body uh, they should still be doing low impact conditioning, whether you have an air, you know, uh, assault bike, airdyne bike, versa climber, anything like that. Uh, you know, sled drags, just slow, um, anything like that to continue to just give the system some sort of cardiovascular stimulus, and then also any any sort of strength training stimulus, you know, um, is going to help in, immensely in that as we get closer to that return to play. And so I think one of the big problems that we see is that is the whole idea of being cleared to cleared to practice, cleared to train. What happens before then? You know, how what was going on last week where they couldn't do anything and now they can be thrown into the mix. And so anytime that we can concurrently train around an injury while rehabbing as well, and that's just hours in the day and what we have available, you know, from a from a collegiate standpoint, how many hours can we have get our athletes in, all that stuff. Um, any any type of stimulus that we can do to train around that injury is going to be huge for returning to play. Uh, one of the other things that I see is just a communication problem. You know, sometimes there's, there's poor communication between how the athlete feels. They might tell one person, one thing, somebody else, another thing. You need to be able to kind of knife through that, know who you're working with. And then, um, you know, whether I know all colleges are kind of set up a little bit differently, but whether you have, you've got your surgeon, you've got your PT, you've got your ATC, got your strength coach, you've got your sport coach. That's five different people that have like a pretty big hand in what's going on. And those people need to be coordinated with each other. Uh, I I go through that in high school sometimes where I'll hear two different things like, oh, she told me X, she told me X. And it's like, I didn't tell her that, you know? And so we're, and so it's trying to figure out um, how we can put that all together. And that's kind of the, the athlete centered care model where there needs to be one specific person, and I take that role as a PT a lot of times, there needs to be one specific person, kind of like a social worker, that's the advocate for the athlete and trying to figure out uh, where are they from all these different pieces? Are they cleared from a surgical standpoint? Uh, does the athletic trainer feel comfortable with them doing this? And you know, um, So that communication piece I think is huge for return to play, training around the injury and maintaining some of those physical qualities. You know, When do injuries happen? Usually under states of fatigue. So the more that we can just get their system stimulated and moving so that they do not lose all of that conditioning and maximal strength and that sort of – I mean how often do we need to train maximal strength? Not often. But let's just do anything that we can to keep them going in the right direction. 
And then one of the other things that I see a problem a lot of times in the private industry is this, let's say you're talking about a hamstring pull, hamstring tear. They're in PT, they're running, they're jogging eight miles an hour, nine miles an hour on a treadmill. Uh, I've seen athletes that after a hamstring pull, they don't sprint for two months, they're scared to. But they go out there and jog six-minute miles, run six-minute miles. They're like, oh, man, I'm good to go. I'm like, but you are a D1 athlete. You're going to hit 15, 16, maybe 17 miles an hour, but you're only jogging at 10. That injury is not going to happen at 10. So the last part of return to play is we need to push them and we need to expose them to a high amount of stress. The, the job of a rehab professional is not done when their pain is gone. The job of a rehab professional and the strength condition can obviously play a role in this as well. But it's to expose them to that stress and create that adaptation so that they are prepared for the demands of their sport. And I just don't see that happen a lot of times. You know, the first time that they really test their hamstring shouldn't – ideally it shouldn't be on the field or on the court. But sometimes we almost get afraid to test it and we're like, all right, let's just, let's just let them go out there. And, <laughs> you know, we don't want to say we're winging it, but that's the reality of what we do sometimes with a high-level athlete. You know, and a fast break happens, they're going to test it. Like they're going to if you let them out there. 100%. So, yeah. So then how would you recommend, because I could also see that being a psychological issue with the athlete. Mm-hmm. How do you, as a practitioner, help uh, is persuade them the right word uh, to, to, to actually do it? You know, to, to believe in themselves enough to, to hit those top velocities. It's communication, you know. I mean, it's it's letting them know where they are uh, from the beginning, not bringing them down by any means, but just making sure they know where they are. Because a lot of times, with your ACL, they might not be confident when they're ready to go. Whereas with your hamstring, it might be the opposite. They might feel, oh man, I'm good. I was jogging. I ran a six minute mile or whatever, but you didn't hit that speed that you're going to hit when you know when something happens on the field or the court, and you're going to really open it up. And so it's, it's, it's getting them involved in the training or the rehab program, making sure they know why they're doing things. Uh, I talk to them about the bigger picture of stress management and, you know, we're going to hit this speed once this week, but next week we're going to hit it twice. Third week, we're going to hit it every day, you know? And so I, I try to talk to them about that the whole time so that they're really bought into the system. Um, but I mean, that comes down to an individual thing too with, with managing your athletes from a coaching, coaching rehab standpoint and knowing, is this person going to be overconfident? Do they need a little, do they need a little nudge because they might not be comfortable enough? And I think that that's just that communication at the end of the day, interpersonal relationships. And I mean, that's what it comes down to, whether it's, you know, whether you're coaching, rehabbing, all that stuff. No. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think that Especially in today's day and age, if you if you allow them to have a little bit of input with it as well, I, I think it helps and goes a long way. Yeah, uh, you know when I'm bringing hamstring rehabs back, it's always communicating. How'd that feel? You know, how'd you feel the next day? Uh, I've had athletes where I have them keep a journal. Um, I had a, a athlete who was coming back from a stress fracture and she had surgery on her foot. And I had to keep a pain journal because it was uh, it was too difficult for her to recall on a daily basis how she felt. But what we did in the pain journal, she also wrote down her, her practice hours, that sort of thing, because we had to figure out, okay, the changes are incremental. They're small, but 
you know how stress reactions work. I mean, it's it's always going to be small incremental changes. Uh, sometimes even just plain, changing a plane surface or footwear can create a stress reaction. And so it's, are we getting better over these three weeks? And um, that's impossible to determine if you just sit there and try to rack your brain. You can't trust your memory with that sort of thing. And so uh, all that communication and keeping track and I mean, it, it all plays into their confidence and their readiness to get back on the field and buying into the process. Yeah, I love that idea too, the, having them, keeping a journal of it. As long as they're compliant with it, obviously it would be fantastic. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I mean, it's the confidence aspect of it is, is so huge. And I think that, you know, the, the, there's a few really, really good examples of that right there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the confidence, like with agility stuff, and one of the things that people like to, on some of the echo chambers of social media, people like to talk about, uh, you know, agility is not cutting off a cone. Agility is connecting your brain to your feet and, and reacting. Um, the more that you can include that in rehab, all that sort of stuff plays into their confidence. And you'll say to them, you're like, look, you just did that right there. I saw you. You didn't think about your knee once. And they're like, no, I didn't. I'm like, you're on your way, man. You're on your way. Because that's the first step is just, or not the first step, but really the last step, that unconscious competency, moving without thinking about it. And that's how you develop any sort of skill. you know. And so rehab's the same thing. Oh, no doubt. And it's, it's funny because when you talk about those sort of things, and yeah, I mean, people go probably a little too far when they're talking about like, <laughs> this and that but you know like starting with just teaching them how to cut and then into a a stepped out drill into a cone drill and then into something reactive is people say it's training but it it 100 fits into that same umbrella with with rehabilitation mm-hmm. yeah and it's, yes you're just using the same ideas oh 100 because at the end of the day like you're just trying to rebuild what what was there mm-hmm. before it broke and it's that's awesome yeah and all of these ideas you know they're not really taught in physical therapy school and so one of the main focuses of my instagram and my whole push has been to help pts to understand this and to see maybe not to understand this because let's be honest i'm going to teach them everything they need to know through instagram but to let them know there's more out there man you know a lot of times i see rehab professionals they fall into this trap where they get out of their school and they're like, man, I just got a doctorate. Like I'm exhausted. Uh, I don't want to go learn stuff that's quote unquote below me. I'm not going to go get a a personal trainer certification. I'm not going to go to a, you know, they don't even consider it really. Like I'm not going to go to a, a a CVAPS or something like that. Like I'm not going to go to a strength and conditioning seminar and learn about that stuff or go intern with a, a strength coach because I've, I'm ready to start working. And so, um, you know, the advice I always give to the young PTs and rehab pros, and I know that a lot, a lot of them probably aren't listening to this specifically, but it's, it's learn from the coaches, learn from the, learn from the people who are training and teaching. Um, that's, you know, that's so valuable, especially when you want to work with athletes. At the end of the day, you need to know what they, what their demands are. A hundred percent, and it's, it's kind of like a two-way street that doesn't seem to have a lot of traffic going the other way. You know, like I think a lot of strength coaches are like. They get all stoked to learn from physical therapists, but it's, uh, I think there's, but then again, a lot of the, the higher in physical therapists are people that like have worked as strength coaches too. Right. So, um, I don't know there's why re- that it's not, a, it's not a coincidence. Else. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's not a coincidence at all. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot of your higher level PTs and also they garner the respect a little bit. I think the fact that I've spent some time under a barbell helps me to, uh, you know, let's be honest, strength coaches size people up. Uh, I know, I know that industry all too well and I, I do the same thing. Uh, but I think that the two way street and you put it, that was, you know, beautifully worded. It's a two way street and you need some of the coat or some of the rehab pros going the other way. And, um, you know, that because those principles and the periodization stuff like that's one slide on one PowerPoint presentation in PT school. Like that's like we did mention periodization, but that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Said know, the word. Not, yeah, exactly. You're not sitting in a in a lecture about it or, or reading reading the book periodization, you know, Tudor Bompa or anything like that. You're just it's just mentioned and that's it. Yeah. 100%. So, uh, you know, I think it's all. I think it all fits together, and I'd love to see uh, in the future more people combining the two things to better serve our athletes, and you know, not even just athletes, people like ourselves, people in their people in their thirties that just want to lift and train and rehab and, and stay healthy. Hundred percent. Yeah. Because eventually, man, we get old, and all we can do is like either try to do meets or road races. Because. <laughs> One day you'll be 42 and everything will be hurting as well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But listen, Teddy, this is killer, man. I can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. This is fantastic. And before we go, spit that Instagram one more time for him, man. Make sure everybody yeah, follows yeah. it. It's, uh, it's strength coach therapy. Yeah. It's all, all one word. Strength coach therapy. Yeah, man. It, killer stuff. Check it out, guys. And, and, dude, thank you so much for the candid sharing right, today, coach. brother. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, man. We'll be in touch real soon. All right. And a huge thanks to Dr. Teddy Wilsey for sitting down and talking with us today. Guys, fantastic stuff. Open, honest, candid sharing as always. Teddy, thank you so much. And please continue putting out the great content. Again, guys, hop on that Instagram. You can find it linked below. He is putting out some killer stuff on the regular. Make sure you're following him. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. You know, we're just trying to get great information out to all the great coaches out there. So if there is something that you like, please pass it on. Let people know. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on iTunes or Podomatic, we would be greatly appreciative of that too. And as always, guys, thank you so much for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.